Welcome, guys. If we haven't met yet, my name's Tom. Uh, I have the privilege of providing leadership to the church plant um, as the lead pastor on eldership with Herrick and Heather Berga. My wife, Ebony, is around here somewhere. Um, I'd love, if we haven't met yet, if we haven't had time, if I don't know you, you don't know me, I really would love to get to know you. Just hear your story, tell you a bit about our church, tell you my story. Uh, we believe here that the church is not an event you attend, but it's a family you belong to. Um, and for that to happen, for that depth of relationship to happen, uh, there has to be an understanding of who we are, you know? There has to be um, the beginnings uh, of a relationship. So I'd love to get to know you. Uh, maybe coffee or a drink or whatever, lunch, anytime. That'd be great. So that being said, this morning, uh, we are going to jump back into a series that we've been going through. This is week 19, which uh, that's got to be some sort of record for me. I usually don't do this long of a series, but um, I think there's so much value in just going through books of the Bible um, this morning, we're going to jump back into our series in the book of John, the Gospel of John. It's this um, epic, uh, essentially eyewitness account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus penned by his closest friend on earth, the Apostle John. Uh, we've titled this series, Jesus Is. I know this is a review for many of you, but I want this to be fresh in your mind. Uh, we've titled this, this series, going through John, Jesus Is, because we want to like we want to learn all that we can about who Jesus is and what that actually means for us. Okay, there's more than just having an understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done, but we actually want to apply that to our lives. Okay, that's the, the heartbeat behind this series. Uh, and it's kind of cool. Today we are actually going to jump into and begin the longest chapter in the New Testament. John chapter 6, yeah, it's going to bite it off. We're going to do it, okay? So John chapter 6, go ahead, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip there. John chapter 6. Um, this week was gnarly. It was, it was a really crazy week. Um, I know for many of you, uh, you share that sentiment. It was, a, it was a, just a gnarly week on multiple levels. And it's interesting because God has this way of poetically writing stories. Um, and he's the author of the story of my life. He's the author of the story of most of your lives, if you follow him. He's the author of all things, really. He's the author of creation. He's the author of the life of this church, this family. And I think it's really poetic and amazing that we are in these scripture, or in this passage this morning, especially with kind of what's been going on the last week or two, and frankly, the last couple months even, um, as our, uh, of our church um, and the lives of each of you. So uh, honestly, for the sake of time, I'm going to jump right in this morning, okay? So John chapter 6, um, before we start reading, I'm going to pray for us, okay? Will you pray with me? Pray for me? That'd be great. Um, God, I love you imperfectly, um, and you love me perfectly, and that really does bring me peace. Um, that you are unchanging in all of your ways, despite my fickleness, my, um, oftentimes my, <clears throat> um, my lack of faith or my, um, yeah, just feeling anxious or whatever. I pray for all of us this morning that you'd minister to us with the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Uh, I pray that um, I wouldn't do anything to get in the way. I don't want, like... Um, yeah, I, I don't want to say or do anything that um, distracts anybody from what you have for them this morning. So God, we love you. We need you. We look to you now. 
Um, We're grateful for the ways that you guide us and direct us and are consistently faithful to us, even when we're unfaithful. So Lord, I love you. Um, And I know that my brothers and sisters in this room love you, so we're excited. We're excited for what you have for us this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen. Okay, so uh, John chapter 6. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 15, okay? So go ahead and follow along with me. I'm in the ESV translation. That's the English Standard Version. I typically preach and teach out of that. Um, If you don't have the ESV, it'll be up here for your convenience, okay? So John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Here we go. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, really quickly. Uh, Throw that picture up up, up again, Thad. Okay, I, I was here, not that one. The one with the mountain. That one. Okay, I was here two weeks ago. That's the Sea of Galilee, okay? Uh, the place that I stayed, me and Ebony stayed, was in Tiberias, the city. Like, allow me to just geek out for just a second. I've read the Bible, you know, for a couple decades now. <clears throat> uh, yeah, decade and a half. <laughs> and this is real, <laughs> okay? Like, this is a real place. That What we're reading about right now, like, this account, like, what's going to happen? Just leave this up for a while, okay? I know you guys want to follow along with the words. It's fine. I'm not going to, I promise this, the words I'm going to read to you are actually in the, of the Bible. Just look at this while I read, okay? Just because I want it to be real. I don't want it to be like this fantasy land of just a story. Like, it's real, okay? I'm going to read this again. So after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, verse 2. and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. He was healing people and stuff, okay? Verse three, Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. That was Passover, just to refresh your memory, it's this um, <clears throat> annual celebration that the Jewish people uh, would, 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 would engage in every year and they're celebrating God's faithfulness of delivering them out of Egypt, out of captivity, out of slavery in Egypt. Okay, that's the Passover. Remember the Passover lamb, you sprinkle the blood on the doorpost, the angel of death passes over you, delivers them, saves them. That's what they're celebrating, God's faithfulness, okay? <clears throat> Verse four, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Verse five, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Philip's one of his disciples, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Really quickly, 200 denarii, that's basically the equivalent of like eight months pay. So just do your math, whatever you think the average salary is in this region, eight months of that wouldn't feed just even a little bit to how many people are here. You're going to see in a second. You guys have heard the story, I'm sure, but there's a lot of people here. So even eight months' wages wouldn't do it, okay? <clears throat> wouldn't give them a little. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has, a fi- who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in this place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. For whatever reason, they didn't count women and children. Okay, they counted like households mostly, so they counted the men. So some scholars think there would have been something like 20,000 people present. That's a lot of people, okay? And I love that that's probably not the mountain, but I want you to see 
the area here, like I want you to picture this, thousands and thousands of people flocking to Jesus, him having them sit down on the grass, and let's see what happens. Verse 11, then Jesus took the loaves, remember there's like, what is it, the five barley loaves and the two fish, verse 11, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. That's a lot of leftovers, okay? Verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world, this promised Messiah that they've been been told about their whole lives, right? Verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Really quickly, when it says that they, they try to make Jesus king, they're not talking about like the king of their lives. They want to follow him necessarily. They're talking about for political gain. They want Jesus, they want to basically go like, hey, let's all mob um, and take over. Like Rome's occupying us. Let's go mob them and take it over. And Jesus is our king, so let's like take back. That's what they want to do. Jesus didn't want any part of that. Okay, he wasn't like, Jesus was concerned about politics, but not near as much as many people think. Okay, so really quickly, if you're taking notes, we're going to talk about three things this morning, okay? The first is this. We're going to talk about the testing from God. We're going to talk about the problem that we face, and we're going to talk about the solution to the problem, okay? So the testing from God, the problem we face, and the solution to the problem. My love, can you get me some water quick? I'm feeling kind of hoarse. Thank you. Okay, so let's jump in here. The testing from God. Um, anybody, anybody who's ever spent any time reading the Bible, studying the Bible, I'm sure you've come across several examples of God testing his people, okay? Um, if you remember, if you've read the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 22, God tests Abraham. If you remember the famous story, right, like, would Abraham actually sacrifice his only son? Would he do it? Um, In Exodus chapter 16, you have the Israelites, right? This is the the chosen people of God that literally God chose um, that they would be a blessing to the world, that he would would bless the world through them, that that they would kind of reflect to the world around them who God is and what he's like and experience blessing through that. Does that make sense? Thank you, baby. So God, in, in Exodus chapter 16, God tests the Israelites. If you remember the story, um, he, he miraculously provides bread in the form of manna when they're wandering through the wilderness. And he tests them, would they follow his instructions with the manna? Okay, and it doesn't end there. Like, there's plenty of other examples, but one more that I want to draw your attention to is Jesus. If you remember, um, before Jesus starts his ministry, his public ministry, he gets baptized, right? And then directly from there, the Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness to be tested. Would he give in to Satan's temptations in the wilderness for 40 days? Okay, so this is like a theme that we see in Scripture, God testing, right? Uh, Back in verse 6, it says that Jesus tests Philip. Did you see it? How How does Jesus test Philip? You can answer, come on. Don't be quiet this morning. I'm gonna stop preaching. 
Yeah, he asks him a question, absolutely, okay? He tests Philip with a question, okay? So you have a crowd of thousands of people and they begin following Jesus and he turns to Philip and he asks like, where are we to buy bread so that these people can eat? Um, how many of you know that God doesn't ask questions that he doesn't know the answer to? Like, the scripture's clear. All-powerful God of the universe knows all things. He's not asking questions that he doesn't know the answer to. So why ask Philip a question he already knows the answer to? To test him. Okay? That's what it says in verse 6. Very plainly, Jesus asked him that to test him. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I love about our church that terrified me at first was just how many children we have. Um, there is, a, <laughs> there is a, a ton of children, which is awesome. They're amazing, and we love them dearly, um, which means we have several parents and stuff, and many of you parents know the dangerous, intense activity of potty training. Um, how many of you guys maybe even are currently going through that right now? Anybody? A handful? Some of you, it's in your cards. Uh, it's in the future. Some of you guys have like helped family and friends with potty trading, whether your parents or not. You know it can be intense. Um, it doesn't happen overnight, at least for most children it doesn't, but it's this kind of gnarly experience. And uh, I remember for, for both of my girls with their potty training, it was interesting because at, at one portion, it's kind of, it's a process, right? You have, to, you have to take them through the process and, and then help them kind of do it themselves and the whole thing, right? It's a process. But for both of them, in different times in the process, there was a time when they were like afraid of the sound of the toilet flushing. So what would happen is, once they got to the point where they were potty trained, um, and, but they were like, they were still kind of afraid of the, how loud the, the toilet flushes, they know, like we train them, they know that when they're done going potty, they have to flush the toilet, and what else? Wash their hands, absolutely, okay? And what would happen is because they're at different times, this, this doesn't really happen that much anymore, but at different times, they, I would like, I would be kind of monitoring from the other room, like listening really intently, okay, they're, they're going, everything seems to be okay. Um, and then I'd listen for two things. I'd listen for the toilet to flush, and I'd listen for the, the faucet to be turned on that they're washing their hands. And inevitably, what would happen in sometimes is they would come out of the bathroom without that happening. And I would ask them the question, hey, did you, did you flush the toilet and wash your hands? And uh, it's funny because I didn't ask them that question. Uh, like, I already knew the answer. I didn't, I didn't need the answer. I could hear it. I asked that question to what? To test them, absolutely. I wanted to know, will they tell me the truth? Will they lie or will they tell me the truth? Listen, God asks questions not to learn the answer, but to test us. But why does he test us? That's the million dollar question. Why does he do it? Um, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Do you guys remember, um, many of us spent years of our life in school of some way, shape, or form, right? Um, and oftentimes in school, what would happen? You'd, you'd go to a class, and your, 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 your instructor, your teacher, your professor, regardless of what stage you're in, they would give you a lecture of some sort, right? They'd give you information. Stay with me, right? They'd give you information, and you would take notes. You'd review your notes, and you'd study your notes because you knew that, like, the midterm exam was coming. A test was coming. There'd be something on the calendar, um, some test on the calendar that you needed to be prepared for, Right? 
And then other times, in other classes, and mostly classes that I hated, they would do what was called the pop quiz. <laughs> do you know what the pop quiz is? The pop quiz is, is a test that introduces the element of surprise <laughs> to where if you haven't been reviewing your notes on the regular, you do not stand a chance to get a good grade on that test. Okay, but either way, I just kind of gave you the plot line here, but we would take tests in school and give answers to get a what? A grade, absolutely. We'd take these tests to get a grade. Um, You need to hear me say this. God does not test his children to give them a grade. Listen to me. If you're in Christ, like if you're a child of God, you've placed your faith in the performance of Jesus and not your own. If you're in Christ, if you're a child of God, that means you get Jesus' grade. Like, his report card reads A plus 100 out of 100 all the way down in every category. And when we're in Christ, when you're a follower of Jesus, you submit he's the Lord of your life, he's your Savior and your Lord, you get his report card. You get, you get his A plus. It's called justification. We know this. Is this tracking with me? Yeah, so, so God does not test his children to give them a grade. God tests his children to give them a gift. We're going to talk about this right now. Okay, to understand this gift, we have to understand what God is testing. Okay, so look back again at this question that Jesus asks. Basically, Jesus asks, where can we buy bread so that these people can eat? That's the question that he, he poses to Philip. There's a problem. You've got to feed these people, and he, and he brings this to Philip, asks the question, right? Where can we buy bread so these people can eat? He basically, he essentially asks Philip for a solution. What's your solution? And Philip's response is, basically, there isn't one. Like, even if we had 200 denarii, it wouldn't be enough to even give them a little bit. There's no solution. Um, I referenced it earlier, but again, I want to draw your attention back to that story in in Exodus about the manna, right? The the miraculous bread that God provides to his people. Um, Scholars kind of disagree on how many Israelites um, were in the wilderness and they got the manna, but it most likely it's over a million, okay? That's a lot of people. If you've ever fed like more than a dozen people, you're like, oh, this actually is some work. Is Imagine a million. It takes a lot of food, okay? <clears throat> but remember this story, right? God miraculously feeds his people having, by having bread appear literally out of nowhere. It's a miracle. God didn't need money then to buy bread and he doesn't need it now. So listen, Jesus is not asking Philip where to buy bread. His question is a test. And what he's testing is he's testing Philip's faith. Okay, Uh, like what Philip trusts in. That's what faith is trust. Okay, it's what you place your faith in something. It's not the amount of faith that you have. It's the object of your faith. It's what you put your faith in, what you trust in. So you can have a ton of trust in something that actually isn't going to come through for you. Like I can drive around with no seatbelt and go, I got tons of faith that I'm, I'm fine. The windshield's going to break my fall. That's ridiculous, right? But I can have just a little bit of faith by putting my, in my seatbelt by putting it on and it's going to save me. You tracking with this idea? Your faith is your trust. You put your faith, you put your trust in something. Okay, and Jesus here, he's testing Philip's faith. But remember, Jesus, he's not testing Philip to give him a grade. He's testing him to give him a gift. 
And the gift is this, the gift of becoming aware of what Philip actually believes. Like what he actually trusts is true. God's God's tests, friends, they're a gift. They're a gift. Because they can bring spiritual sight to where there is spiritual blindness. Um... It's sort of like, have you ever seen where they, um, like with gold, right? Like, what do they do with gold? You put gold under fire to reveal how pure it is. So the moment you get gold really, really hot, it starts to melt, right? And what happens is like the impurities that might be in like a nugget of of gold, the impurities separate from the gold, okay? So the fire is, it tests the gold. It tests the purity of the gold. And it reveals what's really inside. So you can look at it and go, oh, that looks like pure gold. Maybe it's not. The fire tests. Are you tracking with me? Listen, the trials and problems and dilemmas that we face in life, they're tests. And how we respond Listen to me, how we respond to the problems and the, and the dilemmas and the trials, the tests of life, how we respond to those, they reveal what's really inside. Just like with the gold, what we actually believe. And listen to me, having that awareness is an incredible blessing. An incredible blessing because oftentimes we're not aware. Trust me, we're not self-aware. There's times when we can become but like I've had several conversations with, you want to do something kind of crazy? You want to do a crazy experiment? Ask people around you their experience of you and see if it lines up perfectly with what you would say. We don't, we're not that self-aware. In some areas, yeah, but in many areas, no. Okay? It's, it's sort of like, um, you know when you go into the doctor to get your, your blood tested? Like that blood test, what does it do? Like it, it, it can, if everything's working fine, you're good. It just tells you what your results are. But oftentimes it can lead to a diagnosis. And that diagnosis, once you have the diagnosis, it can actually lead to a form of treatment. That test, that blood test, it makes you aware so you can actually address the issue of health that you're experiencing, right? And not just ignore it. The test, it tells you what's going on underneath. The test brings awareness. Are you guys, are you tracking with me? Are you, are you with me? Okay, I want you to hear me say this again. God doesn't test his children to give them a grade. God tests his children to give them a what? A gift, okay? And that gift is what we actually believe, like what we actually are trusting in, in the moment. <laughs> I know it's hard, stay with me. He tests us to give us a gift. Um, and that gift is awareness of what we're actually believing, what we're actually trusting, and what we're actually putting our faith in. So here's what I need to draw your attention to. The reality that you and I are tested every single day. The problems we face, the trials we go through, like the big ones and even the tiny little small ones like my children not washing their hands or flushing the toilet and it frustrating me, whatever it is. In our response to the tests of life, guys, listen, they reveal a ton. Just like with the gold, they reveal a lot. 
And Philip's answer to this test, the specific test that we just read, it reveals that Jesus is not what his heart fully trusts in. What his heart truly trusts in isn't Jesus. Or else his answer would have been something like, you know what, like really, we don't need money to buy bread, Jesus. We have you, you're here. Why would we need money? Like, God, your track record of providing bread for your people, lots of your people, is pretty spectacular. Like, I don't understand the question. (laughs) Jesus' test, it revealed something. It revealed Philip's, listen to me, it revealed Philip's misplaced faith. And listen, the trials and the tests in your life, they reveal where you place your faith. They reveal what you actually trust in. If you're anything like me, I, sometimes I'll just kind of float through and be like, yeah, my man, my faith is in Jesus. He's everything. And then I'll yell at my kids. Nah, maybe my faith and my trust isn't in Jesus in that moment. I'll be short with my wife. Misplaced faith. And here's the thing, guys, like misplaced faith, it can hurt you. Like really bad. Um, So, this will be helpful. How do we know if we've misplaced our faith? How do we know? Next point, point number two, the problem that we face. Okay, so if your faith has been misplaced, okay, you've put it in something other than Jesus. If you've misplaced your faith like we see Philip do here, what's going to happen is you're going to feel afraid. You're going to start to experience these feelings of fear, uh, feelings of insecurity, Um, you're going to experience anxiety, you're going to experience depression. Basically, you're going to experience things like that that violate the way that God created you to operate and experience life. You're going to experience those kinds of things if you've misplaced your faith. And what will happen is you'll respond to the tests and the trials of life the very same way that Philip did. You won't have hope. Like, Think about it. To Philip, solving the problem, feeding all these people, right? Solving the problem, it seemed impossible. Like, even if we had 200 denarii, it wouldn't even scratch the surface. Like, there's no solution, Jesus. Like, you won't have hope. When presented with the problem, Philip's hope was lost. It's impossible. Like, move on. My friend, do you ever find yourself in that place? Do you ever find yourself when your hope is lost? She's never going to change. He's never going to change. Like, why do I even bother? I'm always going to struggle with fill in the blank. Have you ever found yourself saying either out loud or even just in your head this small but incredibly dangerous phrase, I'm over it. I don't even care anymore. My friend, is there an area in your life where you've lost hope? I fought this hard this week. The reason I fought this hard this week was because I can give you a list of about two dozen things in the life of our church that aren't going the way that I want. And specifically, people are experiencing pain and suffering. That's really what it is. 
and had to fight. Is my hope going to be in my circumstances or in the circumstances of those I love? Are they going to be in Jesus? Listen, if there's an area in your life where you've ever lost hope, if that's true, if that's, if that's real for you, if so, it means you've misplaced your faith just like Philip. You've trusted in something that cannot solve the problem or dilemma that you're facing. Guys, and here's the thing about misplaced faith. It's incredibly dangerous for you and for others. It's dangerous because what you place your faith in is by definition the God that you worship. I'm gonna say that again. What you place your faith in, what you're trusting in, that by definition is your God. That's the one you bow down to. Yeah, maybe you're not praying to them necessarily. Maybe you're not singing songs to them. But it's the God that you ascribe the most worth to. That's what the word worship means. It means to ascribe ultimate worth. And that's where your hope's gonna come from. That source, whatever it is. Your hope is derived from it. We place our faith, we place our trust in something and we derive our hope from that. Do you hear me say that? Stay with me. The, 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 what we place our faith into, what we trust in, we derive our hope from that. <clears throat> and here's the thing, putting your faith in a false God will inevitably let you down every time. It's just a matter of time. But the letdown's coming. The loss of hope is coming. And when it happens... Not if, but when, your hope is lost. Like, this is what the Bible calls idolatry. It's not just like fashioning a little idol and putting it on your mantle and, you know, whatever. No, that's what the Bible calls idolatry. Placing your faith, your trust in something other than God. Essentially, idolatry is rejecting God in favor of something else. And you know when you've done it, because your hope is lost. It's depleted. It runs out. You tracking with me? Are you really? I know there's a lot going on. Stay with me. And guys, that's why God's tests are a gift. Because they make us aware of the idolatry that we're blind to the things that we're trusting in, the things that we're putting our faith in, that we're blind to, we're not aware of it. And the truth is, all of us have this problem, this idolatry problem, right? This brings me to my last point here. Point number three, the solution to the problem. Now, if we're honest, if we're transparent, Every single one of us, we're just like Philip, okay? At times, we misplace our faith. We put our trust in things other than Jesus. And, and it's a big problem. It's a very big problem because it leads to idolatry, and, and idolatry leaves us without hope every time. So Philip's issue here, Philip's issue is our issue too. But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice how Jesus responds. Jesus responds with provision. He responds with provision. And what does Jesus provide here? Stay with me. Come on, talk to me. What does Jesus provide? Okay, you had the bread and the fish, right? He provides a meal. Yes. But it's more than that. 
It's so much more than that. Um, when, when we moved to San Diego, <clears throat> in 2012, we moved to San Diego to, to help plant the first church, the first restored church. Not the first church ever. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, <clears throat> we moved to San Diego, and the neighborhood that we were living in, we were living there for, <clears throat> excuse me, about three years, and it's a pretty urban area. Um, and one of the things about, if you've ever visited um, urban areas or lived in urban areas, you know that parking is an absolute nightmare. Um, like bad parking here in the suburbs is like, oh my gosh, I'm at the end of the lot. Like I'm all, I'm like, uh, I'm a hundred yards from the front door of the, or the, the door of the store. Bad parking in like urban areas means like you drive around for like 20 minutes trying to find something that's within like a mile walking distance to where you're trying to go. So parking was just like a nightmare, okay? And there would literally be times I would circle around and not just like the block, like <laughs> like 10 blocks, trying to find something that I could park in, right? Some space. And then I'd, you'd, what would inevitably happen, I'm gonna rant for a second, okay? What would inevitably happen is that you would find one and it would potentially even be a good spot, but what would happen is that it would be a spot that was illegal to park there. So it'd be like a red curb or it'd be like a white curb, or it would be like a fire hydrant, or my least favorite of the stupid uh, street sweeping signs. <clears throat> you laugh, the people are laughing, you guys know my pain, but listen, yes, the, the street sweeping signs, here's how ridiculous they are. The sign will read, it's usually hidden by some like, bro, like bush or tree, so you can barely see it, but what it'll say is it'll say something to the effect of um, no parking here on the second and fourth Mondays every other month from 7 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. And it just so happens, oh, it's available, but guess what? You are trying to find parking on the one day where the street shaping sign says you can't park legally. So it's frustrating, okay? And basically what would happen is, like this would happen to me all the time. I would drive around, I'd find parking spots just like that, and I'm like, it's illegal to park there. If I park there, like, you're guaranteed to let down. Whether it's a ticket or a tow or whatever, you're guaranteed to be let down. And there would be times when I would try, I'm like, I have to park. I've been driving around for 30 minutes. I need to go into the store or whatever. Um, and I'd park there and be, you know, be gone for 20 minutes, come back, and no ticket, no tow, I'm good. And then there would be times when that stupid meter maid would totally take me out and I'd get a ticket. But I remember, like, I would, this would happen to me. I'm searching for a parking spot, right? <clears throat> and it was hard because, like, you've got to park somewhere. It's not like you can, oh, well, I'll just, you know, ditch my car. Like, you have to park. You've got to leave it somewhere. And sometimes you would find the perfect parking spot. No signs no red curb, no fire hydrant. And sometimes, I can remember this a handful of times where I would get like the primo parking spot. Like next to the, next to the door I needed to walk in for the store that I was going to. Wide open. No, sometimes even no um, uh, uh, meter so I didn't have to pay for it. It was glorious. And here's what would happen when you find the perfect parking spot, like the one, you know what you would want to do? Never move your car again. <laughs> Literally, you'd be like, I'm leaving it here forever. I'll walk the rest of my life. I'll walk. My, part, my car can stay there. I'm good. <clears throat> Friends, 
what Jesus provides here is so much more than bread and fish. He provides Philip and these people a place to park their faith. Where there's no like, it won't get ticketed. They can park their faith where it won't be towed away. It won't be depleted. Where their hope won't be lost. And check this out. Not only does Jesus provide enough food for everybody, but it says there's a ton left over. A lot. Hear me say this. Only Jesus can provide a lavish supply of hope. Only Jesus can provide like so much hope that there's leftovers. Anything else that you put your trust in? One, your hope's gonna get towed away. And two, there's certainly not gonna be this lavish abundance of it. But only Jesus can solve the greatest problem that each of us face. And it's a much bigger problem than how to feed a thousand of people on the side of a mountain, okay? Only Jesus can solve the problem of how to save people from misplacing their faith. Only Jesus can save people from idolatry. And how does he do it? Jesus does it by going to the cross, by laying down his life, by taking on the punishment for idolatry, death. He absorbs that. to save anybody who trusts in that, the penalty of their idolatry. And then in glorious fashion, you guys know this, right? Like he demonstrates his power by raising from the dead. Only Jesus can provide a hope that cannot die because he can't die. Nothing else. Nothing else provides that. Only Jesus is worthy of your worship. So yeah, he provided a meal but he provided so much more than that. Um, I'm going to close with this. I'll call the band up. After I take one more drink of water. I'm, I'm almost done, I promise. You guys have put up with a lot this morning. Okay, <clears throat> I want to draw your attention to, um, to one more meal that we see in the Bible. Uh, it's probably from my it's probably my favorite passage of scripture. It's hard to say, but this is the one I go to the most often to just comfort my soul. Um, it's Psalm 23, famous, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm gonna read this to you. I'm not gonna read the whole thing. I'm gonna read the first five verses. It's only six verses, but I'm gonna read you the first five verses. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen closely for the meal. <laughs> Stay with me. Stay with me. I want you to listen closely for the meal. Okay, some of you know where I'm going with this, but just listen in. Okay? Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Other translations say, I have everything I need. Think about that. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Listen to verse five. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Psalm 23, it portrays God as a shepherd, yes. But it also portrays God as a host. With you enjoying his hospitality. So picture this. Like, do you know what this means? Do you know what it means that, 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 that God prepares a table, a meal, for you in the presence of your enemies? Listen, it, it means that if your faith is in God, if, you, if your trust is in him, that Jesus, he provides you with a meal in the presence of your enemies. It means, it means even your enemies are powerless to present you from enjoying, prevent you from enjoying God's gracious provision. Like, I lost you guys there. I don't know where you went. Good Lord. Can you see me? I can't see you. Dude, is it just me or is the distractions just been like out of control this morning? Honestly, I think it's because, I think it's because so many of us need to hear this. Um, And I don't know where you're at with Jesus or the spiritual realm even, but I'm going to tell you there are things that don't want you to hear this this morning. So as much as you can, stay with me. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to help you see what it means that God prepares a table for you, a meal for you in the presence of your enemies. It means that even your enemies are powerless to prevent you from enjoying God's gracious provision in your life. Like, in other words, in the middle of the absolute worst circumstances, people trying to kill you even, like your financial ruin, okay, your health being taken from you, um, relationships betraying you, feeling just completely broken, the circumstances of life, even the worst circumstances in life, in the midst of that, Jesus provides joy and peace and listen to this hope for you to feast on. That nothing can get in the way of that. And I love that the imagery here is that it, his cup overflows. It's abundance. There's so much of that peace, so much of that joy that results in hope. So much of that hope that it overflows just like those baskets overflowed when Jesus provided all that food for those people. Here's my question for you. Today, I don't care if you've been following Jesus. If you don't follow Jesus, you've been following Jesus for a day or for your whole life. I'm asking about today. Like today, do you have that kind of hope? That even in the presence of your enemies, you can celebrate and feast and enjoy the gracious provision of the Lord, namely himself, his body, his blood. Do you have that kind of hope? If not, I have to ask you this. If not, is Jesus the one feeding you? Or is it something else? Friends, only Jesus is the distributor of true hope. If you want a hope that can't die, you have to trust in someone 
You have to trust in the God who can't die. So listen, maybe you're here today and like, maybe you've been parking your faith somewhere you shouldn't be parking it. Like, maybe your hope is being towed away from you, like regularly. invite all of us this morning to like not park our faith in your circumstances to stop doing that and instead to put your faith and your trust in Jesus the one who loves you the one who gave himself for you he provides a feast for you We stand if you're able. I want to pray for us. I'm convinced that God wants to minister to some of us this morning in a profound way. So I'm just going to like kind of pray and listen for a bit. Um, And then I'll I'll, I'll continue to lead us in prayer. Okay, let me just, just give me a minute. there are some of us in the room, or maybe even just one of us, but I feel like there might be more than one, uh, that you genuinely, like you feel, um, you feel the attack, like you feel the reality, like there's something against you essentially. Um, and I got a picture of like a bird uh, and the bird was like in a cage, like a traditional like bird cage, you know? And uh, the, the sense that I got was that, and this is obvious, but like I feel like a phrase came to my mind that, that this cage, like it keeps the bird from two things. It keeps the bird from flying, which is what they were made for. And it also keeps them from the flock, which they were made for. <laughs> um, and I feel like, I feel like for somebody, maybe multiple, like there's something that you're trusting in. There's something that you're trusting in that like, it's keeping you in that cage. Something that you're putting your, your trust and your faith in. Maybe it's like a behavior that you're, you're, um, you're trying to get something that this behavior provides you with something, but it's actually keeping you in a cage. Um, and I genuinely believe in my heart, God wants to free you today, like out of the cage, like it's done. Like leave it behind. Um, so that's you. I want to pray for you before you leave. Um, but let me pray for us, okay? Will you pray with me? God, I bring all of us to you. Um, Thank you that you love us, God. Thank you that you test us because you love us. It's proof that you love us. You test us, not to grade us, but to show us where our faith really is. (laughs) Your, your, Your tests are like those street signs, like, they tell us that like if we park our faith here, like it's, it's, there's going to be a letdown. Or like that it's like a street side, like where you're parking your faith, it's, your hope's going to get towed. 
thank you that you don't, you don't test us to give us a grade. You test us to give us a gift. You're a good father. You love us. You're guiding us. You're, you're leading us. You're directing us. Thank you for giving us the gift of knowing when our faith has been misplaced. And I love that your desires for our hope to be restored. that only happens when our faith is in the only thing that can save us from our idolatry and that's you so I pray God that, that all of us would redirect our worship back to you and experience the intense joy and peace and satisfaction of living under your grace that's, that's, that's what we're called to we're called to live under your grace and what it means to live under your grace is it, it literally presupposes that we don't have things figured out It literally, like, it shows that we make mistakes. It shows that we fall short. It shows that if we relied on our report card, on our grade, we we wouldn't pass. So my prayer for us is that you would would free us. Like, do something today. Like, Like, do it today, Holy Spirit. That you would free us to be people who follow you, Jesus. That you would be where our hope comes from. And not in false gods that let us down. And that we would be the type of people who kind of flock together in a special way where we can start to identify where our friends and our family are being deceived. They're being lied to. They're believing a lie that placing their faith in something would actually satisfy them, would actually have them have their hope realized it's not true. Help us to love each other the way that you love us, God. Thank you, Jesus. In your holy name I pray, amen.